Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsapornchai. Well, it's uh, always good, brother, to do this each and every week. And uh, I'm really excited about the current series we're doing. It's the longest one we've done. And we'll have a few interruptions. Um, but we're talking about the Ten Commandments. And I think that this is one that I don't really hear a whole lot. I, I don't hear a lot of preaching on. I don't hear a whole lot of teaching on. Mm-hmm. Um, and ne- not necessarily that that's a bad thing, but just in the course of church life, uh, we, we don't tend to preach these things much anymore. And so, um, yeah, today we're going to start on the very first of the Ten Commandments. The last episode, we kind of gave an overview of the Ten Commandments, and so folks can check that out. But um, I think that uh, as we go along these guys will come to find out that they're a lot more relevant even to us today than what many people may believe. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we do see a lot of truth um, in the Ten Commandments, um, not not just in terms of uh, the moral righteousness of God, but also um, just how they apply it to us and, and, and our desire to become more like Christ. Remembering that Christ perfectly fulfilled the law in at least two ways. One, he walked perfectly according to the law, but also he fulfilled it in terms of offering himself as the perfect sacrifice for, for sins. And so if we are being made into the image of Christ, which Romans 829 tells us, um, then the righteousness of God as revealed through the Mosaic law uh, must still have value upon us. And as we mentioned uh, last time, nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament. So this must be of value. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as we go through these, and especially today, we're going to find that um, for you know genuine believers, we desire to be holy as God's holy. If we have that in First Peter, and of course that's um, Leviticus all over. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. First Peter, according Leviticus, that. that's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And so we see the standard in the Old Testament, and then it's brought over into the New Testament. And I, and I think the Ten Commandments is a really good place to look. Uh, for believers who want to grow in their own personal holiness, who really want to take their 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 faith and their sanctification here on earth and their walk seriously. Um, it's a good place to start. We, not only do we have just the Ten Commandments themselves, but uh, the application of those in modern day uh, can be very rich and helpful to us. So we're in Exodus uh, uh, 20 and uh, one through three. Let me just read that as we kind of get into it today says, then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's quite a powerful statement. It's especially powerful because God introduces himself the way he does. Why does that have any significance or weight? I mean, why should we really pay attention to that? Well, you know, this is a reminder of why hermeneutics matters. Uh, We want to take things in context. And if you have followed through Genesis and especially the first 19 chapters of Exodus leading up to now, you know that the Israelites have been delivered out of slavery. Um, They've been delivered out of the uh, slavery under Pharaoh in Egypt, and now they're being brought to Mount Sinai where they receive the law of God, and then eventually they'll be brought into 
the promised land that uh, God had promised to the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. Um, but uh, th this is significant because God is reminding them who he is. He's the one that brought them out of the land of Egypt. He is the one that delivered them out of slavery. He is the one that showed his superiority over all the false gods of Egypt. Um, each of the 10 plagues, you can do some research into that and, and see that there is a different God in Egypt represented by each of those plagues. And God showed himself to be superior to all of them. And you may even remember that the first um, few plagues that came, the, uh, the the priests of Pharaoh were able to replicate that, but at some point they could no longer replicate uh, the the signs brought about by each of those plagues. And so God is reminding them, and and he in throughout the Old Testament he reminds them that I am the one that brought you out of Egypt, um, because that he, that's how he redeemed his name. He redeemed his people out of Israel. And by the way, this also goes back to a promise in Genesis 15, where God told Abram at that time was Abram before he was renamed to Abraham. God told Abram that your descendants uh, would be slaves in a they'd be uh, sojourners in in a in a country that's not their own they will be enslaved for 400 years and then God will punish that country and then bring his people out with great possession so by saying that um, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. That's not just a factual statement, but that validates the promise that God had made even to Abraham and also showing and reminding them often that I am the one that delivered you out of slavery. And, and so now it's the true God that they are to serve. Yeah, absolutely. And th this is an interesting commandment, especially for us in the Western world. Um, if you travel to other parts in the world, and we've been both been in other places, and a lot of our listeners have traveled, um, you know, we live in a time and age where it's, it's pretty easy to travel to other cultures and, and things like that. Um, and, and so I think for the Western world, one of the things that may instantly come to mind is, well, I've got this one, right? I'm good on this one. Um, I, I, I absolutely... Uh, you know, I don't have any other gods except for Yahweh. I don't have any other gods except, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm good. I can check that box off. Well, can we, or can we always? And, you know, it's interesting because this one really, um, starts to show a little bit of God's character and, and, and we'll see a lot of that throughout the 10 commandments. I mean, you see God's perfect holiness, represented in the whole Ten Commandments. But what we see here is the fact that God is a jealous God. And th this is an interesting concept, I think, in light of current statistics, right? Um, we, we're all familiar, I think, vaguely, at least with um, many of the recent surveys that have come out. I mean, you have, you know, almost three quarters of professing cr Christians in Western evangelicalism who would say things like, well, it doesn't really matter what faith you believe as long right. as you have faith and you right. can still go to heaven. Well, that's contrary to the very first commandment because God mm -hmm. says you'll have no other gods before me. I mean, it couldn't couldn't possibly be any clearer than this. God's a jealous God. And I thought I'd just bring up a couple passages um, that really just say this over and over and over again, right? You have Exodus in the same book, Exodus 25. You just go down a couple verses, and he says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Uh, Exodus 34, 14, for you shall not worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Deuteronomy 4, 23, 24, so watch yourselves 
that you do not forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make for yourselves a graven image in the form of anything against which the Lord your God has commanded you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Deuteronomy 32, 16, they made him jealous with strange gods, with abominations they provoked him to anger. In Deuteronomy 5, you have God's a jealous God. Deuteronomy 6, God's a jealous God. Joshua 24, 19, Joshua says to the people, you will not be able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. And of course, Psalm 78 Again, for they provoked him with their high places, that's the worship of other gods, and aroused his jealousy with their graven images. So over and over and over again, Scripture makes it abundantly clear that God is a jealous God. It speaks to that a little bit, because that's contrary to what almost three-quarters of Western evangelicals believe today. Right, right. I, there's so many people, so many self-professing Christians will say that Jesus Christ is just one of many ways. Um, but to your point, God is a jealous God. And some people will stumble on that because the word jealousy, normally not a good thing. We don't want to be a jealous people. We don't want to be an envious people, sometimes tied to coveting as well. Um, so how is it that we can say God is jealous and it is good? Well, because God is the only one that is deserving of all the glory, right? So the fact that he created the earth and the heavens, the, the fact that he created mankind, everything that is in it, uh, that he is sovereign over all all of the existence from start to end uh, as we know it, um, God is worthy of all the credit. And when we give the credit to someone else other than God or attribute it to someone else other than God, we are actually uh, supporting falsehood. We're actually supporting something that is not true. So God being a jealous God is actually an encouragement to us to recognize the truth of who he is and give him the glory that only he deserves. And so we we want to recognize that when God says he's a jealous God, he is the only one that that deserves that glory. And uh, and I know the next commandment, we'll talk about idolatry a little bit later, but even as um, when Israel was guilty of the golden calves, they created the golden calves uh, about 40 days after the initial receiving of the Ten Commandments in the Mosaic Law, Moses goes up there and uh, the, the people are impatient. It's been 40 days, 40 nights, and they say, well, we don't know about this Moses guy, so let's go ahead and create uh, our own gods and worship them. And they create these golden calves, and they name those golden calves Yahweh. You know, so they take the name of God and, and attribute it to to someone who is not God. Um, so th there are many ways that we can violate this. But what's very important is to understand that there is only one God. And the other uh, the other account that comes to mind is Elijah. Elijah confronted the prophets of Baal in First Kings eighteen. And uh, before they have that contest where they want to see who's going to bring fire from heaven to light up the altar, um, Elijah challenges them and says, look, if um, if Baal is God, worship him. But if Yahweh is God, worship him. Yeah. And and in his statement, it's very clear that there's only, only one of them can be God. So choose which one it is and stop limping or skipping between two different options. Yeah, it's very interesting when we talk about deserving, right, especially in our current cultural climate um and the in the difference between you know our jealousy which is in almost every case a selfish jealousy and in god's jealousy which is actually a perfect and righteous jealousy and that has to do with just as you've said and you made the point well the fact that god deserves all worship and and that's a very interesting concept i think in our current climate and current culture because it isn't deserved as you know 
just from God's perspective. It isn't deserved as in his truth or as in the Christian's truth. And then someone else may decide that another God deserves their worship. No, it's not used in that sense. This is in the perfect truth sense of the word. Um, God is the creator of all that has been created. And so because he is the maker of all things that's been made, he is the only one who rightfully really deserves anything at all that's right um and so it's 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 a righteous jealousy and so yeah and so people shouldn't get um caught up uh and hung up on that use of the word but i think again this helps us understand just a little bit more of who god is if if we can't be jealous um now there are we have righteous jealousy right uh, we're jealous over our wives, and there's a righteous yeah. way that that can be true. Yeah. Um, and, and it comes down to heart motivation, and it comes down to what God has said we have the right to um, <clears throat> in in those ways. And so we have it pretty clearly in, in Scripture. But still, I think people would say, okay, I, I, I understand that. Uh, maybe I'm okay with that, but I've still got this one, right? There's only one God, the omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, sovereign God of the universe, he gets the glory. He doesn't share it with anyone else, and and that's who I worship. Because he forbids serving false gods. I don't serve Buddha. I don't serve Muhammad. I don't, um, you know, serve any other false gods. I don't have any little tiki men in my house, or yeah. you know, any of that kind of thing. So, Eki, I think I'm okay. Um, <laughs> w- w- what would you say to someone where that's as far as it goes? There. I don't have a little Buddha on my mantle. I'm good to right. go. Right. You know, I think of 1 Peter 3.15, which is the popular op- apologetic verse. And, and Peter says, sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. And, and when we hear that statement, sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, well, what does that mean? Well, the word sanctify is literally to set apart. It's the same word used for holy. We set him apart. But we set him apart as Lord, meaning he is Lord and he alone is Lord, right? And the same thing when we think about Jesus' example to us on how we are to pray in Matthew chapter 6. He says, pray then then in this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, and that's the same word, same root as sanctify and holy, hallowed be thy name. Set apart is your name. Your name is set apart from all others. And so we can violate this even as we are not actively worshiping any known God when we fail to sanctify the Lord as God, when we fail to sanctify Jesus Christ as Lord. Um, so we um, we see throughout the scriptures, and we know that this is in the heart of man. We often forget God. We often um, start to resort to pride, thinking that we've done things ourselves. And, and Deuteronomy reminds this of the Israelites, that when you get wealthy, you're going to forget the Lord your God and think that you did it with your own hands, not, uh, not remembering that God is the one that has provided you with all these things. So those are ways in which we can forget that God is God uh, by f- failing to give him the recognition he deserves um, for all that uh, that we have in life. Yeah, and I think when we're talking about this, it's important that not only do we understand something of God's character and his jealousy for worship alone, but also that we understand our own nature, our own fallen nature and our own hearts. And, it, you know, to the point that you made earlier, let's go back to the example of uh, when the Israelites were making the golden calf. I, I mean, <clears throat> if you really just dig down into that scene and let's just sort of kind of go back there now imagine this 
um, the, the, the Israelites have heard God. Moses is, uh, you know, re- representative. He's up on the mountain. He's speaking with God. And he hasn't been gone that long. I, I mean, we're talking about 40 days. Now, to put this in right perspective, let's just back up a little bit. Look at all of the supernatural, miraculous things that God's people have seen up to this point. They've been led out of Egypt. They've seen, you know, all of uh, the plagues. They've seen, um, you know, they've been led by a, a, a cloud by day and fire by night. Um, they, they crossed the Red Sea, right, miraculously. So they've seen, they've been provided for in in a miraculous, unusual way. I mean, even to the point where their clothes aren't wearing out, right? Their belongings right. Are, are being kept. And so this is a people who have seen God in a way that no other people has ever seen or experienced God. Right. And Moses is only gone for 40 days. And what did they do? That's all they it took. took. They turned yeah. to idols. Yeah. 40 days. A month and 10 days, right? A month, a week, and, a, and three days. Right. That's all it took after all of that. And so just, you know, as a as a brief aside, um, it, it, lest anyone ever thought that if they just saw a miracle, their faith would be strengthening, strengthened? Nope, uh, because it didn't help Israel, right? They lived with the presence of God in a unique way, and it only took 40 days before uh, they made a golden calf. And well, interesting enough, in, interestingly enough, not only the people, but Aaron, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, Aaron, the, the successor to Moses, n- not only did he uh, participate, but he lied. Yeah. <laughs> right? He, well, he created the golden calves, and then he ended up telling Moses, I just threw the golden there, gold in there, and then out popped this and calf. It, it popped out, right? I, I mean, and so, I, and I think... It, you know, we, we kind of laugh at that because of the absurdity. Yeah. But I think if uh, we ever got to the place where we could look at that scene and we could say, well, we're far better than that. That's an indication no. that we have right. no understanding of human nature. Yeah. Right. We have the exact same nature as the Israelites. Yeah. And we are quick to justify our own rebellion, our own disobedience um, against God. And, and you know, it's not just... 40 days. So you mentioned 40 days, and you're right. 40 days they created the golden calves, but it was 40 days after that fearsome sight in Mount Sinai. Because as we're going through the Ten Commandments, at the very end, the people are so afraid. They're hearing God's voice like thunder, and they're so afraid that they say to Moses, You speak to us, let not God speak to us, or else we or else we die. And then Moses ended up saying, do, do not worry, God has done this in order that you would not sin against him. So they ended up seeing uh, and hearing very directly the, the powerful voice of God, putting the fear of God into their hearts uh, to the point where they thought they were going to die just from hearing the voice of God. And yeah. then 40 days later, it's like they have completely forgotten. But you're right. This is this is the heart of man. We Even, even those of us who have been saved, um, the battle of flesh and spirit rages on and how easy it is for us to forget God and to not give thanks or to not recognize just how dependent we are upon him. But let me add another thing. The Israelites, when you read through the first five books of Moses, you see so many instances uh, where they not only grumbled against God, but they express how they wanted to go back into Egypt. Right. So here God introduces himself in the first commandment as I am the Lord, the one who has brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And how many times did they actually want to go back to Egypt, meaning that they no longer wanted to serve God, they would rather serve Egypt. And that's another way in which they fail to recognize the one true God. Let me read for for you Numbers chapter 14. 
starting in verse one through verse four then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried and people wept that night uh this by the way this is the context this is after the spies uh, came back with the report and everyone's afraid of going into the land because of the people that are there verse two chapter 14 says all the sons of israel grumbled against moses and aaron the whole congregation said to them would that we had died in the land of egypt or that or or would that we had died in this wilderness why is the lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword our wives and our little ones will become plunder would it not be better for us to return to egypt so they said to one another let us appoint a leader and return to egypt they wanted to go back into the house of slavery and reject the god who actually delivered them from slavery wow yeah i i mean and then that was such an impact uh, that was such an impactful uh scenario in old testament that it's brought over multiple times referenced in the new testament but especially in the book of jude you know, you go to the book of Jude, and in verse five, and of course, book of the uh, Jude, the half brother of Jesus, is writing f- that the saints would contend earnestly for the faith, and he gives a warning in the very beginning. And in verse five, he says, "Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. How do you not believe?" After experiencing all that the Israelites believe. Now, if the heart attitude is really just what I said, then we have an issue. Because the assumption there is that I'm different than the Israelites, that my heart is somehow different than the Israelites. Well, how often do we not believe in God, though he saved us, though we know, though we understand you know, you may not have a Buddha in your house and we may not have, you know, the Quran on a pedestal in the house. But the reality is, is you can worship another God just simply by putting your trust in anything more than God. Yeah. And to do that is to make that thing God in your life. It may be momentarily, but nonetheless. Um, and, and so when we look at that, I think it becomes a bit more important to us more personal when we look at those things is john calvin who says every one of us is even from his mother's wound a master craftsman of idols he also says man's mind is like a store of idolatry and superstition so much so that if a man believes his own mind it is certain that he will forsake god and forge some idol in his own brain yeah and we see that all throughout the old testament with the Israelites. And we have to realize that we're really no different at all. Now, the the, the one way that uh, the one objection that might come up is that if you've put your faith into Christ, we have received a new heart. We have a heart of flesh to replace the heart of stone. We have the Holy Spirit. We've been given a new nature, and that is very much true. So even as we think about Jeremiah 17, 9, that talks about how the heart is deceitfully sick, um, but we as Christians have a, a new heart, and yet uh, we should not be prideful because that new heart came by the grace of God. It was not something that we earned. It's not something that uh, you know we did enough good and, and God saw us as worthy or deserving and gave it to us, but it was only by the grace of God. So we can still look at the Israelites and know that we are no different, and the difference that does exist because of our faith in Christ is only by the grace of God. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for those who might would go to uh, that argument, I think we could just very simply ask the question, well, do you still sin? Right. 
And if the answer is yes, then we have to understand that having a new heart doesn't mean that we no longer sin against God. And this is one way of the many that we still sin against God. And so we're not talking about a salvific thing necessarily, although it could be, right? Mm -hmm. If your faith is not truly in the Lord Jesus Christ, then yes, you're not saved. But there are those moments where we create idols in our own hearts and our own minds. And in those moments, we sin against the holy God. Though we not lose our salvation, we've still broken this commandment. Um, And so it's good to kind of reflect on that reality and ask the question even, uh, what are there things in my life or what are the things in my life that I've made idols out of? Um, And we trust that the Holy Spirit will bring those to mind and we can repent of those things. And if we need to even remove certain things from our life that have become idols, then we can do that. Um, But uh, the prosperity gospel is a good example, right? Um, The prosperity gospel, when people come to the God of the prosperity gospel and make no mistake, that is its own God, they come to a God of wealth, health, and prosperity. And so God of the Bible is not their God, wealth is. That's another God. It's just one example. Now, in that case, uh, we would ask, we would want to ask the question about salvation, right? But for those of us who truly are saved, do we put our faith and trust and confidence and our wealth at times over God? And in those instances, when we do do that, then we're also guilty of breaking the commandment. Again, not that we lose our salvation, but we certainly are sinning against a holy God in that way. Yeah, that's why First Timothy 6.17, Paul tells Timothy, instruct those who are wealthy or rich in this world not to put their hope on wealth, but upon God who richly provides us uh, with all things. The The other way that we can violate this, <clears throat> and, and you're, you're alluding to it, and it's essentially we create a false view of God. Um, for instance, you know, I, I have mentioned this before, but I met a lady while we were out in the G3 conference uh, who claimed to be a red letter Christian. Um, and by red letter Christian, that means that she only pays attention to the red letters um, in the Bible that are printed that reflect the direct words of Jesus Christ. The problem is all of the Bible reflects the word of God. Um, all of the New Testament in particular is certainly the words of Christ, right? Um, that's uh, Jesus Christ pro- promised to provide the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit would give to the disciples all that belonged to him. And Jesus affirmed all of the Old Testament, a man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So when we make statements like that, that I'm only a red letter Christian, or I only believe this book, or I only believe this kind of view, we essentially, um, it's a veneer. On the outside, it looks like we're worshiping the same God, but essentially they've created a whole different God um, and just slapped the name of God uh, upon it. And and so that's the other way that, uh, that we can be tempted to turn aside. And then one other way that has come to mind has really been recently with the LGBTQ debates and the pro-choice, pro-life debates, the abortion debates. Yeah, you know, there are Christians who are compromising on those issues and and trying to make room for LGBTQ, uh, for people who are unrepentant in that movement, or make room for people who are pro-choice. Well, in the Old Testament, we saw the God of Molech. That is the God that people would sacrifice their children to. And in terms of LGBTQ, we we see in Romans 1 that God hands people over um, to their own sinful depravity, where 
they end up worshiping the creation rather than the creature and they give themselves over to desires which are not natural so even though we may claim that this is god it really is not god and when god when god spoke through uh, really when jesus christ spoke to the samaritan woman at the well he said that uh, god is seeking true worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth in spirit and in truth that means we worship god according to the truth of his word Joshua said the same thing when he called the elders of Israel at the end of Joshua. He said, um, serve the Lord in sincerity and truth. So you can't get away from the fact that if you're worshiping the true God, you're worshiping him uh, according to truth. Yeah. And, it, you know, one telltale sign is when someone says, well, the God I worship wouldn't do this or, yeah. well, the God I worship wouldn't do that. Um, oftentimes that is followed by something that describes a God that doesn't exist in the Bible, right? Um, well, my God would never keep two people from loving each other. Um, well, I I actually don't disagree. It's just your God's not the God of the Bible. Um, no. You know, because what we deem to be love it can be perverted, and we see that in LGBTQ community. And in fact, and and providentially speaking, in terms of this podcast, um, just this morning I had a message. Uh, which was someone asking about people visiting in our area, and they were looking for a church that would be accepting of this LGBTQ couple. And so that was yeah. the question, um, professing to be Christians. Uh, but wh whatever God it is that they believe in isn't the God of the Bible, right? Right. Um, and so that has become an idol. And in that case, it's probably, it. well, it's a salvific issue, Right. Um, and and so, but for others, for those of us who do believe, um, we still often fall short of this in in ways where we just elevate things above God. Let, let's talk about some of those ways. So you have, you know, maybe some people are scratching their head and they're thinking, hmm, I wonder what are some ways. Um, and we can't give an exhaustive list, obviously, yeah. but maybe just a few that are prevalent in our culture. Uh, and, you know, one of the ones off the top of my head is politics. Mm -hmm. And I don't really care what side you're on. Um, I, yeah, we'll, we'll just leave that there. It doesn't really matter what side you're on. But if your faith is in a political system um, for what's happening in the world, for the yeah. safety and security of your own family, <clears throat> um, then you've made an idol out of a political system. Yeah. And, and, that's, uh, and that's true no matter what country you're in. Right. Um, if your faith and trust is in whatever government you have and your security and, and how you, um, you know, just your your day to day living, if you've put your faith and trust in that and if that thing shakes. Right. You get a new president. Uh, you looks like you're going to have a new king if you're in those parts of the world, whatever it is, if that shakes your life, then that's a really good indication that. You've made an idol out of your government. And that's yeah. a big thing here, which we've seen in the last several years. And I think we see that on both sides, right? Um, yes. Because we're human and it's our natural uh, tendency to sin in those ways. We have a new heart, as you've said, but, you know, the Apostle Paul talks about how he does those things which he know which he doesn't want to do and he doesn't do the things that he wants to do and clearly these are sin issues in my, in my view because he's talking about the raging war inside between the flesh and the spirit right right um and and so we want to look at these things in our own life if we're serious about 
um, worshiping God in such a way that's pleasing to him, not to earn our salvation. And we have to say this, right? We're not trying to earn God's grace. You have God's grace if you're if you're a believer. We're not trying to keep God's grace. You can't lose God's salvific grace if you are a believer, right? Um, we certainly can experience the consequences of our sin, but we pursue holiness because we want to be like Christ, because we love Christ. More than those things, because we realize the high premium uh, that Christ has put on our purchase, right? When we understand just what it was that was paid, um, that should cause us to be overwhelmed with a desire and a love to be and follow after Christ. And that would be holiness. Yeah, no, I know. I agree with that. And I, I think about Jesus Christ, you know, someone might look at this and especially those who um, would accuse Christians of being polytheistic because we believe in the Trinity, right? That God is, that the Godhead is three in one, three, uh, three in persons, one in essence. And the verses I would point to to help support that would be verses like the, the Great Commission verse, Matthew, the end of Matthew chapter 28, uh, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name, singular name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we do see instances where the Spirit is referred to as God. Uh, the book of John makes very clear that Jesus Christ himself is God right from John 1.1. Yeah. And, and we, we know that uh, in the book of John, um, it the whole purpose of the book of John, it's stated in, near the end when John says these things have been written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing you would have um, life in his name. So that was the whole purpose of John. And yet there were people who throughout the book of John were said to believe Jesus Christ, and then they would walk away. Mm -hmm. um, like uh, John chapter 6, verse 66 when Jesus would repeat over and over again that God needs to, to draw you and everyone that God draws uh, will be saved by the Son, um, they didn't like those statements and they ended up walking away. So it says in verse 66 of chapter 6 that many of his disciples, and by disciples, those who followed Jesus Christ, those who at least appear to believe in his name, ended up walking away because they didn't like his words. Well, they didn't. They never really liked the true God. And the triumphal entry, you know, when Jesus comes in, they're they're yelling hallelujah, uh, they're yelling hosanna, um, hosanna to, uh, you know, blessed be the name of the Lord. And hosanna really means save us, God, right? That's the from the Hebrew word. And a lot of those same people that were um, showering Jesus Christ with those praises within days would be yelling crucify him, crucify him, because they wanted a political leader, not one who was simply coming to first provide the salvation that we need from, from our sins. So, yeah, there, there are so many ways that we can create uh, false gods. I already mentioned the red letter uh, Christian example. Uh, talked about uh, the LGBTQ and, and the abortion um, issues and all that. So th there are many ways that we can create false gods. And essentially, it's to make God who we want God to be rather than letting the scriptures tell us who God really is. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess some of this would really kind of cross over into idols, which would be a similar thing, although it, it will talk about that separately. Um, William Tyndale said, to have faith, therefore, or a trust in anything where God had not promised is plain idolatry and a worshiping of thine own imagination instead of God. That's really what you're talking about is creating a God in our own image.
And, it, you know, we can look at things like, um, you know, the, the social justice God, as it were, uh, the LGBTQ God, you know, all these professing believers that really they've defined uh, a God, they've created a God out of their own imagination. But I think, uh, you know, guys in our camp, we should be very careful and understand that we do this too in times at times right um and so we should pause and contemplate and and really i think ask for god's help to expose those things in our own heart um whether we are changing the character and nature of god to suit us which would be that very same thing uh we often do that in how we justify sin right we we justify sin by changing God's character often. Yeah. And that's how we do. It. Well, it's not really as bad as this is this. There are other ways we do that, but that's a prominent thing. Um, and it, sometimes we do it just simply by ignoring Scripture, right? We see yeah. what it says. It's plain. It's clear there, and we ignore it. And in doing that, basically what we're doing is saying, well, I don't like this attribute or this characteristic of God, and so I'm just going to pretend it doesn't there. It, it doesn't exist. Well, you've just made a God in your own image. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we do that. And oftentimes, I think for those who love God, it's very subtle. Um, and, and while we're saying this, if, if it feels like uh, very heavy and, and condemning, go back and listen to the first one. <laughs> so we sort of mm-hmm. preface this. So the assumption that we're going through the rest of these is that we're predominantly speaking to people who they know that they're loved by God, they're saved, and maybe some aren't, and then they'll come to know Christ. Uh, but predominantly, those who are saved and they're saying, you know, I, I do want to be holy. I want to pursue and love God uh, the, the best to the best of my ability. Now, I say to the best of my ability to bring up this next point. Y- you can also um, make a God in your own image by trusting in grace. Oh, what do I mean by that? You can make grace into a God itself. To love anything more than God Himself is to make an idol, and uh, it, it if that is confusing, Eki will explain it to you. But it's almost, <laughs> but it's almost like saying if you have faith in your faith, then your faith isn't in God, right? Um, that, that sounds confusing, but even our salvation, the grace of God, it's not that substantive grace that we. Are trusting yeah. it's God himself who's <clears throat> given that right uh, to us do you want to speak to that maybe clarify that yeah well God is the object of our worship and what well, what we know about him he is love he is truth he is grace mercy all those kinds of things and we recognize that those are the attributes that describe God um, we we don't separate that from God um, so God is always the object of our worship but when I think about grace and and people will overemphasize grace to the point that really obedience no longer matters and we can live life however we want to and and I hear a lot of people emphasizing our freedom in Christ. Well, our freedom in Christ is not meant for us to do what is evil in the eyes of God. Our freedom in Christ is not meant to um, to for us to just pursue the pleasures of this world and just say we have freedom in Christ. So th- that really gets to where we start to ignore God and we start to really key in on the idea that we've been given salvation, we can't lose it. And then this is one of the issues with the um the 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 once saved always saved movement uh, we do believe that once you are saved you are always saved but oftentimes the once saved always saved uh idea is is given with the idea that there's no lordship 
Um, once you have professed, once you have asked Jesus into your heart, once you have accepted him into your heart, whatever uh, some of the passive language is often used rather than repent and believe, um, it often is used to tell people that no matter how you live now, you can live apart from the church, you can actually deny God, you can do whatever you want. But because you once professed, uh, you are always saved. And that's really elevating the, the grace of God into becoming an excuse for licentiousness. Yeah, I, the reality is we were set free to be obedient. You couldn't yeah. be obedient before. You, you know, Ephesians tells us we were children of wrath. Uh, we we followed the ways of the world. You know, our heart was desperately wicked. So we're set free so that we can be obedient. Jesus himself, you know, says, you love me if you obey my commandments. Yeah. Um, and that's not a statement of works-based salvation. That is merely the fruit of a genuine regeneration, right? Um, it, it's our longing, our desire to be obedient. And so as we look at the Ten Commandments, if, you know, if there's no desire to be obedient to the moral law, which applies, then we should really check to see if we're really in the faith, No, right? Because there should be a longing and a desire um, to to be holy and and to live by these things. And so, although we may not, um, you know, like I said, we may not have a Buddha, uh, what are the areas that we've lifted up something above God? You know, it can be family. It can be a job. Yeah. Um, it, you know, 1 Timothy is, I mean, sorry, 2 Timothy is really interesting um, it, because he touches on one specifically here. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4 says this, but realize this, that, so this is Paul speaking to Timothy, right? But realize this, that in the last days, difficulty will come for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. Unloving, irreconcilable, malicious, gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Mm. Our own pleasure can be a false god. Yeah, and that's a common one, um, especially in this society. We're a very hedonistic society. And again, this is um, just really emphasizing, overemphasizing the grace of God into doing whatever it is that makes us happy. In fact, I just reminded our church the other day that there's a popular saying that heaven helps those who help themselves. That saying did not come from the Bible, and it was not even expressed by a believer, but it was used to help fuel the self-help and self-love industry, which basically emphasizes how I feel, pursuing my interests, whatever makes me feel good, feel fulfilled. And we use that as our justification that, well, God wouldn't want me to be unhappy. God wants me to be happy and and joyful and all that. So this is what makes me happy. And so this is what God wants me to do. And, and it's a very self-oriented uh, way of thinking. You know, it's not uh, it's not any kind of direct uh, exaltation of Buddha or uh, or, or the, the the God of Hinduism or anything like that. But but rather trying to take the God of the Bible and, and then twisting him into becoming a God that supports whatever it is that uh, makes us happy and makes us feel loved. Which is really just a God of self. Right. We've elevated ourselves as God. And I think we all do that at times in certain ways. Um, and, and so it's something that we ought to be conscious of and that we should consider. Um, entertainment. Right. I mean, anything that we elevate, uh, faith and trust, you, you know, and, and you, you know this in the counseling world, um, people will use whatever they can, professing believers, to distract themselves, no. to find, quote unquote, 
piece um, about things. And so if you're going to movies uh, to, to deal with your anxieties or your stresses in life. No, and and right. that becomes your go-to. That becomes mm-hmm. what you trust in. I, I've even heard people say things like, well, I really need this to be able to cope with life. And you've probably heard that terminology yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Um, well, y- you've just elevated something above God right. because the scriptures are sufficient to deal with those issues of life. Um, and, and so these are just, you know, different ways that we can um that we can violate this commandment i mean the pleasure one i mean it doesn't even have to be a quote unquote sinful pleasure right if we come to enjoy our pleasure as a means to find joy in life you know then whatever it is maybe you enjoy fishing or reading books or studying theology you you know you you can elevate Right, intellectualism or the study of theology, knowledge. Um, you, you can find yourself if that's where you your if that's what your go to is uh, to 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 find comfort and to find joy and to find peace. Then that's something that you've set above God, and for you, that thing in that moment has become an idol. And as we become aware of these things, they're things that we should bring before the Lord, we should repent of and trust the Holy Spirit to do a work in us. Um, and if we need to put boundaries up in our life, then we do that. Uh, but but we need to be aware that Satan uses everything he can. He, he can't take your soul if you're a believer, but he certainly can hinder your Christian walk. And sometimes it's, you know, we just, everything around us um, we have the the flesh and 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 the devil and everything else, right? Uh, we still have that sinful nature that we have to constantly be beating down, uh, as, as Paul talks about over and over again. And so, those are some of the ways that I think are very common that maybe we don't realize. Even our ministries, if you're in ministry, no. right, can become so important th- that it gets placed above God. Which is a strange thought, right? How on earth could a ministry or family ever get placed above God? That seems that seems odd. Yeah, and, and one of the tests of that is if your ministry is taken away from you, do you become a wreck? I mean, do you just lose it, right? Um, because th- then you've turned that ministry into your object of worship rather than God himself. The other example I think of, and, and I think just about any pastor who's been a pastor for any length of time will understand this. There are people that completely neglect the church they call themselves christians and then they go and essentially lock themselves in a cave and just keep reading the word of god over and over again Mm -hmm. and i I sometimes refer to this as caveman theology because they're doing it apart from any participation in the word of god or in the participation with the church i should say the the people of god and all the time they they come out with some really warped theology some really warped views they end up condemning every single church that exists calling even faithful men heretics um and and they act as if they're the only ones that that know the truth well all this came by reading the word of god over and over again and that sounds like a good thing to read the word of god over and over again but they do it at the expense of actually being a part of the body of christ being a part of the church being a member of the church and when you disobey god when you don't do not walk the way god has called you to walk god is not going to bless uh going to bless you he's, he's not going to 
give you the the wisdom that uh, that you may desire. Um, it's just like in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter one, um, Israel is in deep um, sin, so so much that God is even referring to them as Sodom and Gomorrah. But He says, when you pray to Me, I'm going to ignore you. Um, even though praying to God is a good thing, God's going to ignore them because they're not repenting. They're yeah. in deep sin. So even something like reading the Word of God, if you're doing that at the expense of actually taking part in the body of Christ and, and obeying what the words tell us with regards to the body and uh, and encouraging one another, then yeah, you, you're actually elevating the Word of God um, to, to be becoming your idol rather than actually obeying God and, and being a part of the church and, and growing in that way. Yeah, which is a very strange thing to to yeah. ponder, right? Yeah. Um, but that's true because, and and it goes back to what we said earlier. Because basically, in ignoring what God commands in some parts of the Scripture, y- you've decided that that's a part of God's character, that's a part of who God is that you don't like, and so you've refashioned it or ignored it, and in essence, you've changed who the God is that you're serving. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, it, it, it's a big thing. So maybe the question is, as we kind of wrap up, how do I, what's a good litmus test um, it, 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 for me to discover whether or not I have an idol in my life? And, um, and maybe you can point to one, but the one that I would point to that I often tell people is go to Job. I love the book of Job. Um, you can go to Job chapter one and verse 21. And it says this, he said, he says, naked, I came from my mother's womb and naked, I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And what I would encourage people to ask is, can you say this Mm -hmm. with all sincerity Mm -hmm. about whatever the thing in question is? If your sports went away for the rest of your life, if you needed to just walk away from it, your TV, your books, your family, your ministry, could you say this with all sincerity? If not, then it might be an indication to dig a little deeper and just see where your priorities might be off. Yeah, I, I think that's a good example. And if if you feel that there is something in this world that you absolutely need, so people say, oh, I need this or I need that, and it's something other than God and His Word, um, there, there's a serious issue. And often people will say, oh, I, I need my food, I, I need this. And of course, God provides us, uh, will provide us with the things that we need in order to survive. But we, we start to elevate um, temporal things as being our needs, even above and beyond God Himself. And so if there's anything in your life that you love, anything in your life that you enjoy, and you think that you and your enjoyment has reached the level where you think you won't survive without that, um, then yeah, you've you've run the risk of doing that. But I think also, and I think uh, of the counseling room when I counsel people and, and they're going through trials, and they're not coping with the trials correctly or, or well, one of the questions that I've heard asked that I think is a good question to ask yourself is, what is it that I am believing about God that is actually not true? And and what is it that is true about God that I'm actually not believing in this moment? And a common one would be like, for instance, the sovereignty of God. When we are crippled with anxiety and fear, um, we are functionally acting like God is not the one who is in control, that he is not both good and sovereign. Um, so I, I think just ask asking yourself some basic questions, but all of this has to be underlined with the faithful study of the Word of God, the faithful study and interpretation of the Word of God, because the more that we are in the Word of God, the more accurate those kinds of self-assessments uh, self, uh, self uh, assessments will be. Because if you're 
view of God is false to begin with, then your self-assessments are no good. So they're only as good as the truth that you get from Scripture. So that is all always a nece- necessity to be in the Word of God. Yeah, and to be plugged into uh, and committed to and a member of a local body. Yep. And we're not just saying that because we're pastors, right? We're, we're saying that because that's God's good design. Um, we see that all throughout yeah. the, the New Testament, the expectation of being committed to a local church. You go to Hebrews, um, and I- Hebrews uh, gives us the, the, the command for believers to be submitted to their leaders. And so this is, you know, this is for our sake. Uh, it's for his glory. And so we need to do those things. Now, you talked about the counseling room, uh, maybe just as a last one that I think is very prominent today. Um, that's a violation of this particular commandment is how many believers, and I'll let you explain because I'll step on the toes and then you can do the healing, uh, <laughs> as it were. Um, it, 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 how many believers actually trust the world over the word yeah. or comfort in terms of um, emotional comfort and security and things like that? We tend to want to run to a pill. Uh, in the Western world, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We tend to want to run to a secular psychiatrist or a secular counselor. Yeah, right. um, and in that way, I think maybe more than any other generations that I'm aware of historically, I think we repeatedly um, violate this command in how high we've elevated the world's beliefs in those ways rather than God through his word. Yeah, in those ways, we deny the sufficiency of Scripture. And when we talk about the sufficiency of Scripture, we're talking about the fact that it provides us everything that we need for both salvation and sanctification. Um, it is authoritative on on everything that it actually addresses. Um, and so, yeah, there are a lot of people that will lean upon the wisdom of man rather than the wisdom of God. And, and we're even warned against doing that in Ephesians, because Ephesians, when it talks about the fact that Jesus gave to the church um, a preachers, uh, pastors, and teachers. It's for the purpose of um, equipping the saints uh, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. But as a result, we are no longer to be tossed here and there by every wave of doctrine, by the trickery of men. And Colossians uh, gives us a similar statement as well. But yeah, we we tend to um, want to rely upon the quote-unquote science. And I say quote-unquote because the science of today is not really true science. Um, It's really just um, uh, people trying to to um, excuse their sinful direction that they they want to go in and, and their way of suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. And that's nothing to keep in mind, too. Romans 1.18 tells us that man in his unrighteousness suppresses the truth. And so if we understand that that is the nature of man, we also understand that the best source of truth that we can find is going to be with God's word himself. But yeah, so many people want to go to the things of the world, psychology, uh, medications, and, uh, and, and I, I can tell story after story after story of so many people that I've met suffering from depression, given all these medications, and guess what? The medications did not help. Now, there are always some people that say it does help. Well, according to studies, placebos can also help, right? So, um, even if you find some comfort uh, in a pill, maybe it uh, has some sort of effect on you that you find helpful, it's still does not um, it does not negate the fact that the scriptures actually provide us everything we need to get through those spiritual trials. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's a good point. And so, ju- just to go back to whatever it is in your life that uh, you're you're considering that you're thinking about, you know, Job one twenty one. 
Can you say that with all sincerity? And if not, it's a red flag and spend some time in prayer and dig down and put some boundaries around yourself and around your life. Um, and don't stop reading the word and don't stop going to church. Um, and y- you know what? Go to your elders, go to your pastor, uh, same thing, elder, pastor, shepherd, um, and confess those things. If it's, you know, especially if it's something like uh, you've put your comfort in maybe just singing worship Sunday morning no. rather than God, um, especially if it's those kind of things. If, if you're thinking, well, really, I, I think I have made a, an, an idol of God out of my theology books, you know, go and confess those things to, to your pastors, to your brothers, um, and, but ask those questions. Now, I think we're going to do this in every episode. I, I want to end uh, just very simply with the gospel, because what we're not talking about is obedience in such a way that it's legalistic. Um, in, in other words, we're not talking about being conscious of whether or not you're obeying the first commandment so that you can earn God's love or so that you can keep God's love. That's not what we're talking about. Um, but how do you earn God's love or keep God's love? Well, you don't. And, and that's the bad news, right? You, you don't because you can't, right? Uh, we're, we're told that we're desperately wicked. Ephesians tells us that we're children of wrath. Ephesians chapter 4 is a beautiful passage. He goes through and he describes really the state and condition of 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 mankind um that we're evil that we follow after our own lust that we follow after yeah. the world right that yeah we're, ephesians 2 1 to 3 yeah yeah i think i said 4 sorry yep. ephesians yep. 2 um you know he goes through all of this and explains in great detail our condition our fallenness and the reality is that we have all broken these 10 commandments um, from the time we're born, we break these repeatedly over and over. And God, because he's a loving God, he's a just God. And because he's a just God, there has to be a penalty for those who break these commandments. And that penalty is an eternal penalty, hell. But, and this is why I love that uh, that that passage, it says, but God in verse four of chapter two, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You were you all formerly lived in the lust of your flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. You are by nature children of wrath. You've all broken these commandments, but God. You see, you can't earn your salvation. God has to intervene. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. And so Christ came and he died and he died in active obedience to the law. He didn't come to abolish these 10 commandments. Um, He came to fulfill them and all of the law. And he did that on our behalf. And so he was the perfect sacrifice. And so he takes on our sin where he was, there was no sin before and his righteousness is attributed to us. And so our faith and our trust has to be in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the person and work of Christ, not just as savior, but as our Lord. Um, and 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 that's the gospel message. And so we put our faith and our trust in Christ. And then when we're saved, we look to something like the Ten Commandments, and our heart ought to long to reflect the character and nature of Christ. And so we consider these things and consider, you know, where we're falling short in our lives, not so that we can be saved, but because we are saved. Do you Amen. have anything to add to that, brother? 
No, that very well well put. And just to tie it into our lesson that there is only one God, um, that is the one God that we're accountable to. That is the one God whose standard that we failed to meet. And that is the one God who sent his son, also God in human flesh, to die on the cross. And as Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says that God exalted Jesus Christ and gave uh, him the name above every name so that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is only one God and there is only salvation through that one God. Amen. Well, I hope that this has been helpful for you guys. We're going to go through the other nine uh, as we continue this series. And until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.